Hello, 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 everyone. I am Pedro. And I'm Meredith. And this is Gritty Reboot. <laughs> <laughs> Meredith just stared at me for like a half second and said, I'm Pedro. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right, I have a name too. <laughs> well, we forgot to do intros for like two weeks in a row until who we are. Yeah, so. we're going to be rusty. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's good to get back in the habit again. It's good to get back in the habit. Had a little break here, but now we are back. We are at the very start of our Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, feature, correct? Yes. So uh, we're going to be taking a look at this whole franchise of films. We're not taking a look at every movie in the franchise, but we're taking a look at everything that we think qualifies as a reboot. Yeah. Because this franchise is sort of infamous for having a lot of soft reboots, and it had a re- uh, 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 like a requel, I would say, like earlier in the year. With uh, or, or late last year with uh, the Netflix film Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm-hmm. um, that not necessarily a reboot, but very much feels like a reboot. So, and there's a lot of other opportunity. I think, like you know, we, we'll talk about it later. But the third installment, Leatherface Three, is pretty much a direct remake of the original film, except you know, not done in Toby Hooper's crazy style from the original film. So, and obviously the Jessica Bill movie. And even in those, after those reboots, we go back in time to take a look at like Leatherface's history, I think more than once. So th- there's a lot to mine in this franchise and we're really going to take a look at it. We're going to dive like right into it. Yeah. Give it justice. All right. So we start this movie with flashes of corpses and unsettling noises. We do. We do. We get a holy grail of noises as far as. Yeah, that, that camera flash sound. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that would be used pretty much throughout the franchise or certainly after the reboots pick it up. Because I remember the trailer for the reboot just flashed that sound over and over again in the teaser as they showed things to sort of get people excited about it. And after that, every teaser that they did had that sound effect in it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you want to capitalize on, on what you have, but, you know, it, it does become a part of the series. And we have that to open the movie and a narration by John Larquette. Yeah. Uh, John Larquette, uh, for the younger <laughs> fans out there, he is a television comedian and he was on a show called Night Court, which is probably his biggest, most famous role. And that was in the mid to late 80s. And uh, that show has recently had a revival, which I do believe he is also on. I don't think he's dead. I think he's on that show. Bender does own his spine. But other than that, like John Larquette is a somewhat famous person, especially considering this was the first thing I think he had ever done. Acting wise, can you guess how much he got paid for this role? <laughs> I cannot guess how much. A joint. A joint? Oh, I would not have guessed that. <laughs> yeah. He got paid a joint for this movie. If you know John Larroquette, it's unmistakably his voice. I've always been a fan of his as a kid. I I, I guess I watched Night Court because my dad did, so I I always liked him. So I, this is always a neat little factoid I've always enjoyed because I recognize his voice instantly, and never thought it was strange at all or like a weird kind of fact. But I love the fact he was paid in a joint. Yeah. But it does set the tone for this movie because we have, like I said, the, like you mentioned, we have this desecrated corpses mm-hmm. and we have the slow uh, pullback off of them. Mm-hmm. And that really shows us the cinematography that we're going to see in this movie, which is, well, I, I'll just go and say, this is probably the most raw movie ever made. Like, I think there's a few other movies you can maybe throw in this category, like kids. And it's probably a few offhand that I'm not thinking of, but you understand what I'm saying. Like, very few movies, a lot of movies want to be like a documentary feel, and very few movies ever do it. And this movie is walking that line with almost no mm-hmm. effort. And I think that's something very interesting about this. 1974? Yeah. yeah, for when this movie's made, you know, considering, you know, a lot of the big iconic horror movies that we always talk about, they're years away. 
You know, they really are. They're years off. Halloween's not for another, like, five or six years. Yeah. You know, all these horror movies that we sort of associate with it, to me, it's very intriguing, like, how much Toby Hooper really, you know, set in motion for the future of horror cinema in this movie. You know, I, I, I that's one thing that I, I kind of marvel at. Like, this movie is not only amazing, but the historical value of it is through the roof. Yeah. I agree. Good. I'm glad you do. I'm glad you do. I agree. So we have this unsettling uh, scene. I do like the pan out because you get to see how unsettling the corpse is posed mm-hmm. on top of the headstone. Yeah. And it is a, a disturbing image. Yeah. And then we got the, the, the van stopping. So, yeah, then we're introduced to our, our main characters. Yeah. We have basically what is sort of what would be known as a standard horror setup. You have a group of teenagers going to do some general activity and they fall into some sort of horror shenanigans. And this one, they pick up a hitchhiker, which in 1974, it's just par for the course, correct? Yeah. You pick up hitchhikers in 74. That's that's a perfectly fine thing to do today. It's really weird, but that was okay then. Yeah. The hitchhiker immediately gives off weird vibes. Yeah. He, he, he really, really does. And he's simply just known as the hitchhiker in this movie. And he's not what I call like a, a great actor, but his performance and this authenticity to it is particularly striking because he does feel like, you know, I can, I can remember this time I was out in the city. I was out with um, a colleague of mine, um, Adrian from NBC, and we we're just shooting things downtown and we we're getting some shots. People were coming by real curious. And then as we were shooting there, I realized the guy next to me has a samurai sword on him, like a complete, like ready to armed weapon. <laughs> Alrighty. And he's just talking like crazy. And I was like, looked at him. I was like, well, Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate your time. And just, we picked up the camera, just walked away as he continued to be crazy somewhere else. And I thought to myself, that level of fear in that moment is how I feel watching that scene. Because all these guys realize very quickly they picked up the wrong guy. Yeah. Very quickly. And the scene just escalates and escalates. You know, you have this music in the background that contrasts it. You know, it's almost goofy and everything like that. But, you know, the, the tension really rises throughout the entire scene here. He takes Franklin's knife. He gets all weird about the knife when he sees it. And he takes Franklin's knife and he cuts his hand with it. Yeah. And then, you know, after you see that, he takes a picture of Franklin. I don't know why he's so obsessed with Franklin. He really is. He really is obsessed with Franklin. Yeah, but he's like zeroed in on him. Yeah. Well, he's he's just, he's hustling. He's a capitalist. He's got to make that money. He takes that picture. He's like, hey, two bucks right now. Two two bucks. Right now. Right now. Like, he's very insistent on it. And they won't give him any money. Why would they? <laughs> so he takes the picture and he burns it with gunpowder. Yeah. Which is just another really weird thing to do. Freaks everybody out. As it even should. Even more. Yeah. And uh, that's when he takes a, a knife out and he goes and cuts Franklin's arm. Yeah. Which is pr- probably one of the more graphic things in the movie, if you really yeah. think about it. Uh, yeah. Because we see, see it. see it up close. Yeah, because we do. We see it up close. And he does this, goes crazy. Um, they pull over and he's ejected from the vehicle while, like, they kick it. He kicks at it while they're driving away. Yeah. And he marks it. And he's clearly, like, uses whatever he has the from his wound to, to put blood on the vehicle. Yeah, it's just a very tense moment. As I said, you know, the acting in the movie, very, very raw, like I said. You know, there's some really amateurish performances in it. But that does lead to a level of, like I said, authenticity to it. And nobody in the movie is really... Like, awesome at acting. 
Yeah, everyone's really on the same kind of level. Yeah, and you don't know anybody. Yeah, like they're not known actors. Yeah, no, nobody is. So you you really feel like you you are just sort of like you know behind the counter, kind of watching them. Yeah, like you're just in on this with, with some with real people. You know, very few movies can ever sort of achieve that. And like I said, it's sort of the gift of Texas Chainsaw Massacre is that the movie actually pulls that act off pretty easily if you think about it. Well, they get rid of the hitchhiker and he ends up marking the van with his blood. Yes, he does. Do you think that meant anything? I, I think it was just a, a sign, you know, for the rest of the family. I, that's all I've always interpreted it as. I, I see. I think it's just ambiguous. Oh, I really? Think, yeah. But yeah. That's the, the joy of the movie. If you yeah. think about it. Yeah. So I, I think that he just did it because he's crazy. Yeah, I, I mean, th- and that's what's great about it. It could be that, you know, it could be they have an intricate system. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. The reason I always thought they had an intricate system is because when they get over to the farm, there's all those cars everywhere. Yeah. So to me, that always says they've been doing this a while. Yeah, they He's have. the bait. He goes there. He's like, okay, I went in this car and it's four Marines. That's a pass. He goes in there. He's like, it's a bunch of kids. Take them out. You know, th- at least that's the way I've always looked at that moment. Hmm. And even now, like that's, he just sort of marks it, you know, cause I mean, yeah, that's, that's the one thing you don't want to do if you're a killer is pick up somebody else who is a more efficient killer. Like, right. If you picked up a Marine, that would be a bad yeah. idea. You know, I just I, like it. I just like that scene. Cause like you said, it's open for interpretation. Agreed. Um, we are, we're having a discussion about it right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, that, that, that is the really unique thing about this movie is that everything is sort of really hinted at. You know, any of that sort of subtext or about how everything works between those guys. At least not until the sequel's fleshed out. Well, they bandage Franklin and then they end up stopping for gas, but there's no gas. There's no gas. And I do want to mention to anybody who would be unfamiliar, uh, once again, this movie is before my time. A lot of people might think this is just a convenient of the plot that there is no gas, but there was actually a gas shortage in crisis at the time. And this was a pretty common thing for a rural American town to not have any gasoline at all. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, that that was a, a pretty typical Hard to get thing. Trucks out there. Yeah, so, so especially with everything that was going on, basically we'd we'd been cut off from a lot of gasoline from the Middle East, and so that led to this. And you know, I mean, it, it's a a real thing that happened to a lot of people where they ran out of gas and had to figure shit out, and that was pretty much what happens to our heroes. Mm-hmm. Well, like, not our heroes, <laughs> but you know, this is what happens to the group of teens that we're following. You know, they they run out of gas. And they're really, you know, they have to try to run around and try to look for some more. And they pick the wrong goddamn house. Yeah. <laughs> and that's pretty much it for this. You know, they, there's a few shenanigans there. But, you know, what, what really is important is them, you know, moving on to the to the farm. Yeah. They stop at a really old house. There's clearly nobody's living in it. Yeah, that that's the entire, it's it looks totally like. Totally decrepit. Yeah, a dilapidated house is what it looks like. But they're having a blast. I never understood that. It's like, what is 1970s? teenagers like yeah like they're just like there's nothing else to do there's no there's no internet there's no games they gotta they gotta make their own fun like i know at one point like they're running to the swimming hole which is a scene i like because they get there and it's dry yeah and i was like well that's a great texas joke right there (laughs) i mean this this film is is you know i mean practically almost like like the bible here in texas by the way i do want to mention that how much people love and respect this movie here here in texas well, it, it is. It's got Texas in the title, baby. Yeah, it it really does. And I've I've been to the you know, the place where they shot it. It's a barbecue restaurant now. Yeah, it's a barbecue restaurant. And their bar- their, their barbecue is pretty solid. It's pretty solid. You've had it? Yeah, 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 yeah. When I went with Anjanette that one time, uh, three or four years ago, 
we went there and we got one plate of sausage and that's that's all we could get at the time that was packed because there was a horror convention in town and everybody wanted to go there and they had a screening there that night I've, we watched some short films and uh there was a horror movie that i can't remember the name of it that uh, had really really bad sound <laughs> people were getting mad at us but you, know, you couldn't hear it because it's the way the movie was but yeah no it, it's a like i said a legendary place here in texas and and it's um i would recommend you head out there to actually check it out mm. so but, you know back to that to back to the house Franklin, I feel bad for Franklin because they all just kind of leave him outside while they go frolicking in this dilapidated house. They they do love to frolic in dilapidated places. But yeah, he does get left behind here. You know, he, he's in a wheelchair, so. Yeah. I, I love including a protagonist who is immediately at a huge disadvantage to a crazy killing machine. Yeah, with a chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> I really, and, and the last thing you want to be with a wheelchair is on tall grass. Yeah. So, you know, it, I think it's a very interesting thing in him having been left behind and he's downstairs. He's just blowing raspberries at the ceiling. You know, I like that. There's the creepy shot of the spider's nest. Mm-hmm. That always unsettles me. Nothing scary about it. Just, I don't like spider's nest. Oh yeah. The, the daddy long legs. Yeah. 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 The daddy long legs. Yeah. The kinkiest of all the spiders. Dude, those, that, that's freaky. Yeah. How they collect like collect like that? It is, yeah. It's yeah. great imagery that they were able to get out of this this house and I, I and that's the thing like when when you're given the tour of this home, it is really a sight to behold, right? Yeah, we got we got great geography in this movie. We really do. We we have a fantastic layout of how everything is is really laid out in the home. And it pays off really throughout the entire runtime of the movie. You know where everything's at. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of movies where we talk about this. We're like, where the fuck is this guy? Where's he running to? Like, we just, we have no idea. And this movie really nails that early on with the compound that they have there. And everything with the house. You know, it's very impressive, to be perfectly honest, for mm-hmm. a movie around this budget level to, to really pull it off. But I do want to mention, you know, Toby Hooper, who directed this film, I mean, he was not some boy. I think he was 30 years old when he directed this. So, I mean, he, he was a man coming into this movie, so he had a really good idea and plan and, and used the budget incredibly effectively. Yeah, he did. Yeah. The teenagers all kind of separate. Um, One of the couples, the first couple that gets it, they stumble a bunch on a bunch of old cars like you were talking about mm-hmm. and yeah. a generator. Yeah. So they figure generators got gas. Which is a good idea. Yeah. And then that's the thing. That's what I like about that too is like, I'd do the same. I'd be like, oh, we're so lucky. These guys have gas. We can maybe, yeah. and we can barter something off of them. We can maybe do some work. We can figure this out and get the fuck out of here. Everything's know? pretty innocuous. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, completely innocuous. Even even when you see the line of cars underneath yeah. the, I guess, what is that? Like a camouflage covering? Yeah, just a little covering. Yeah. So, yeah, when you just, it's not that big a deal. You know, I mean, it's not that uncommon a sight in the state of Texas to see that. Now, I do understand that, I mean, like, the design of this movie is a very, like, apocalyptic Texas to some extent. That's where, where wherever this was shot. Yeah. Is that's the way it is. Yeah, yeah. And it, that, there is a lot of places that do have that look. Now, today it's not, well, today it's a different kind of decay, I suppose. But you can still find similar looking areas around here. They, um. Flipping me off? No, I'm not flipping you off. So for our first kill, we have Kirk. He wanders into the house, you know, trying to find some somebody to help him out and he goes to the only open door the only place of color really that's in the whole house right you see this flash of red in that background mm-hmm. 
And he goes there and we're introduced to Leatherface for the first time. Mm-hmm. And this is probably one of the most iconic entrances for a, a horror villain ever in the history of cinema. Yeah, it's so sudden. He steps right in there. You get one tilt right up to see his gargantuan size. Yeah. And then the hammer comes down and hits him right in the head, just like we talked about, just like what was talked about inside the van. You know, there's a whole thing about the air guns bullshit. You do it with a hammer. That's the right way, the way it feels right to do. And so we see Leatherface actually carry the act out. It's pretty fucking brutal. Mm-hmm. Despite not actually seeing really uh, a ton of the action. He jerks around. Yeah, I think that there's a there's such a level of brutality to that. You know, him just flailing on the ground, his brain destroyed from one hit. Yeah, he actually hit him in the head with that hammer. And <laughs> I mean, there's a look to it, so I'm not too surprised by that. Yeah, and then he he throws him against the wall and hits his head again. Yeah. <laughs> You probably had a concussion. No concussion protocol back then on, <laughs> on the set of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They did their best to to uh, protect the actors. Yeah, well, I mean, accidents happen on set. They just do. Especially you know. when you're dealing with cha- live chainsaw. Yeah, l- lower budget stuff like that. I, I yeah. know I remember that on the commentary track. Uh, the actor who played Leatherface, he was, he was saying that a lot of the times his biggest deal with the mask was making sure that when he moved the chainsaw that he wasn't going to cut his goddamn leg off, as he put it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that was his big thing. Like, you could see his movements are very deliberate. And that's why, because he really couldn't see all that well. Like, he was making sure he just wasn't going to chop something that was just out of his field of vision. And that's the danger of a lower-budget film and that kind of stunt work, you know? Yeah. But they did a good job making sure there weren't more injuries on set. So, you know, like I said, every now and then, guys can get punched in the face when you're doing a stage punch. It happens. Yeah. So you get this very, another really raw moment, like you were, we were talking about with this mm-hmm. guy that gets, with Kirk, who gets his, gets it. Yeah. And then we have the the girl. I can't remember her name. but Pam? Pam? Okay. Yeah. So she comes into there, and first of all, when she comes in, we get the iconic shot. Yeah. Which is a tracking shot as she walks into the home. And like we follow her with basically her ass as the center of the so frame. So many horror movies have done this. Yeah, yeah, shot. and it's it's a it's a really great iconic shot. It's incredibly well done the way it's framed, how ominous the house looks. You know, like her innocence, you know, portrayed right in the at the in the middle of the frame. I really, I really, I mean, we've talked about like the shot in Carrie, like the you know where everything is set to plan in that one. Mm-hmm. And so it's nice to talk about these iconic shots and it's just cool to look at it. Like every time it comes up in the movie, I don't know if Toby Hooper meant for it to be that kind of shot, but it absolutely is. It kind of tells you everything you need to know about this movie. She eventually follows up her curiosity, goes into the house and finds all of these amazing props, right? Yeah. All these things that make you think you're in the house of a true psychopath. Yeah. She stumbles into a room of bones basically yeah but they are they're repurposed bones is what's interesting well that's the thing to yeah do. they've made furniture out of them and yeah and, and and to me that's the interesting thing about the family and we're just calling them that in this one because they're not really given a name they're the sawyers the, the sawyers is who but they uh they reuse everything and that's something i've always really liked and this says a lot about who they are as characters mm-hmm. you know as like hunters every single piece of the body needs to be used in some way shape or form you don't throw anything out and i think that's a very interesting thing to note about them because these guys are you know i mean they're poppers well the hitchhiker even says that when he's talking to franklin yeah and all the other guys about head cheese yeah and how like they use every part of the cow yeah that was the original title for the movie 
Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> That's why every every screenplay I ever wrote, the original title was always Head Cheese. Head Cheese and Me. Yeah, and unless I had a title going in, I, it was always Head Cheese, and I'd come with a title midway through. I remember when I was writing that somebody had a computer program that scolded me once because I forgot to change the title. They said Head Cheese was the worst title ever. I think that was the first AI critique I ever got. Wow. So, yeah, she is eventually grabbed by Leatherface. Another iconic shot. She's coming out of the house. He just grabs her like a child, brings her in, throws her on the meat hook. Yeah, which she could only stand for about a minute. Oh, it makes sense. Yeah, she was off that thing pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah, so she's put on the meat hook. He grabs a chainsaw and starts hacking away at Kirk's body, who's just lifeless on a slab. Yeah, and this is really more only implied action. You don't really see it. No. You don't really see that, so... But there is, a, once again, that level of brutality to it. You know, and we mood. We, well, it's our imagination. Yeah. And I think that's that's the more intriguing thing. And where it takes us. So I always talk about Blair Witch. So a lot because I, I like that yes. in the Blair Witch is like it's it's sort of an imagination test. Like you're you're with those characters. They don't get to see what's out there and neither do you. <laughs> you're not special. You only see what they see. And then even in the end, it's ambiguous. Exactly. Exactly. This movie gives you a little bit more to work with, but still does rely a lot on your imagination for that. And because of that, people think they've seen really brutal stuff in this movie that's just not there. Yeah. And to me, that that's great. You know, I love when a movie does that. I know, like, I always think of the ending of Seven. People think there's a decapitated Gwyneth Paltrow head and they've seen it. It's like, no, he never shot that. It never happened. <laughs> but people think they've seen that shot because it feels like they did. Do you think he meant to do that? Yeah, absolutely. That's what you're always trying to do. Because you're trying to imply a level of violence without getting too gross. I mean, being gross is fine for comedy's sake or or even just for gore's sake, but you, you don't always want to do that. And especially at this level in 1974, you know, there's just not a lot of gore movies out there. And if they were, they were B-films, like the Gore Gore Girls or something like that. Yeah, because he famously wanted to do a PG rating. He wanted a PG-13 rating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, PG rating. There was PG-13 yeah, at the time. Or whatever. Yeah, that didn't come around until Gremlins. Yeah, so he ended up with an R rating, but they the MPAA wasn't too happy. Yeah, this was probably probably the title in itself made them hate this movie. But once again, there wasn't a slasher craze at the time, so a lot of the fervor that people think of with the with the I was almost at the NRA wrong 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 abbreviation the MPAA and what they do, you know, they they probably weren't as like I said fervent about it just because this was a sort of a new thing, but. At the end of the day, I mean, there's still not a ton of violence in it. So it's not like he could just flat out just give it like an X rating. Yeah. You know, this movie was banned in like several countries. Which is really strange. Like I said, we just talked about it. It's not that violent. Just a lot Germany, of Germany. I know the UK. I know the UK. Well, yeah. New Zealand. Yeah, because I remember there being a big deal when someone said like, it's finally not banned in the UK, which I was laughing at. <laughs> I think like Germany, they just unbanned it in like 2011. Yeah, yeah. I, I, maybe it was Germany I was thinking of, or a country where it just happened that you could finally watch it. Yeah. But th- there's a lot of movies like that. I know Solo you can't watch everywhere. Well, you shouldn't be able to, golly. Hey, listen, it's a great movie. It's in the Criterion Collection. Would they be wrong? Are you better than Criterion? I guess you got me there. Yeah, see? See? All right. This time we have Jerry that wanders off to try to find Kirk. Yes. He makes it to the house. He does. He does. And I, I do like this. He's also, also, by the way, he's like clearly the oldest actor mm-hmm. out of everybody that's yeah. in the movie. When I first saw the movie, I was like, is he their dad? <laughs> <laughs> but he does come into the house as well and does not fare much better. No. 
I think he hears like some knocking. Yeah. Or maybe like a scratching noise. But he ends up the opening the freeze. Yeah, yeah. The freezer. Yeah. And he's he's drawn further in. He opens the freezer where he finds now he thinks that she's dead and she pops up for like a jump scare. And like the movie's industrial soundtrack, which I'm sure was just fucking noise around Toby Hooper's house that he recorded. Really, I mean, just like a punch to the gut. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, like when she comes up and she screams out of there, like the noise that the soundtrack makes can really just make you jump out of your seat and make you just uncomfortable. And sadly, it, it does for, for him as well. He is, uh, at that point, Leatherface is aware where he's at. Yeah. And it doesn't turn out too well for him. Yeah, the poor guy. Leatherface gets him, and that's the end of that guy. Yeah, yeah. And so. we he pushes... He pushes Pam back into the freezer. Yeah, he pushes her in there and he shuts it again and we never see her again. So we, she is chronically dead at that point. So you did hear a pig noise. Yeah, yeah. So you think Leatherface is making that noise? I do. I think Leatherface is making the pig noises. Hmm. I do. I really do. I think Leatherface is making all the pig noises. Yeah, because watching this movie with a little bit of an analytical eye, mm-hmm. I, I didn't catch that upon, oh, yeah? upon previous viewings. Well... I guess that's sort of okay because you have to remember a lot of times that you watch these movies, you watch them on cable when you're not exactly like sitting down to truly like drink in a movie. Mm-hmm. You're just sort of killing some time or you're maybe not catching it all the way through or you, you're just not 100% paying attention for whatever reason. And that's sort of the, the reason you want to rewatch the movie and everything like that because you never know what you can really find in it. But th- that is another aspect of it. Like when you just sort of have to sit down and, and you you hear those little elements of the soundtrack and you realize how well made a movie that it really is for being as low budget as it was. Yeah. And that that's another element of it. It, it's, it is impressive. Like I said, those little elements of the soundtrack. Now we're back with Sally and Franklin. They are arguing about staying or going, basically. Their classic bickering in this movie mm-hmm. was actual real bickering. Yeah. The, they hated each other. Yeah, I'm not surprised. The actor who played Franklin stayed in character from what I understand. Yeah. And so basically he stayed like acting like an annoying prick for the entirety of the shoot. So people treated him as such, which I guess helps with the performance. I mean, I guess. I've never understood that level of method acting before, but hey, to each his own, right? Yeah. I mean, I think they're, the level of annoyance she has, and he's being annoying as fuck. He really is. Because she just like, listen, you're in a wheelchair, motherfucker. I can't take you anywhere. But he insists on coming, right? Yeah. So, and then this. He wants to drive away, but he realizes there's no keys. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, she starts, she's just fed up with his shit, and she's just like, I'm, I'm going to go. She's like, I don't even want the fucking flashlight. Give me the fucking flashlight. Yeah. If you don't give me the flashlight, I'm going anyways. Yeah. And so he has to tag along anyway, carrying the, the flashlight. And, and too, I mean, he's trying to keep up with her and everything like that yeah. as they continue on. But once again, the last thing you want to be in dry, high Texas grass, is in a wheelchair. Sadly, as he's trying to light the way, he puts the light right on Leatherface for one of the movie's biggest jump scares and a a true slasher kill, actually. Yeah, he comes out and he kills Franklin. Yeah, he absolutely does. Yeah, he he does what you would consider, what what you'd want to see in this kind of movie. And weirdly enough, you really only see it here. But uh, it, it certainly does work. I think it's a great moment, very jarring. And then Sally takes off running. Yeah, she watches she for watches like, yeah, it. she does. She has to watch for like, oh. And th- but then again, I guess like, wouldn't you just be like, what the fuck am I looking at, right? Like, yeah. you just have shock for just a moment before she hauls ass to the only light in the distance. She gets her hair caught in the in the brambles of the woods, mm-hmm. 
And it makes for another tense moment because she, I mean, he's like right on her. Yeah, he very much is. So you think that that he's going to catch up with her and she manages to squeeze out of it. She still continues to be chased. And then she gets chased to the house. She locks Leatherface out of the house and stumbles upon uh, the decaying grandparents. Yes. Yeah, she does. And she she goes there initially asks them for help. Yeah. Without realizing what they what they are. Because honestly, you would just assume they're both dead. The grandmother is completely, like, almost completely decayed. Yeah. Yeah, there's no, like, flesh left or anything like that. Just a little bit of, like, whatever hanging off of her bones. And then, of course, the grandfather is uh, still there, but not by much. Mm-hmm. And I think he's in, in this movie in canon, 126 years old. Yeah, he's a vampire. I think it's about, yeah, how old he's supposed to be, so. He drinks. Oh, we'll get to it. Yeah. Don't get ahead of your own rundown. No kidding, yeah, no. right? Yeah, what are you doing, lady? <laughs> he ends up getting through the door. Uh-huh. He saws through the door, and he goes after her. And she wiggles her way out of it. I mean, she is she is. Yeah, crafty. she's technically our first final girl. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, she she would predate any any other slasher in that respect. And she does a pretty solid job. She's she's fighting hard. She is not gonna she does not want to die. No. <laughs> she's running as hard and as fast as she can. She Even, crashes through the window. Yeah. And still being chased. She's got no fear windows. She ends up at a guy's shack. Yeah. An odd guy's shack. She's able to run over to there and you know, there is the moment of safety, right? I felt it. Yeah. Like she just, she gets over there and she runs in the door and the leather face just stops and like the door shut. She's okay. Right. Mm-hmm. She can breathe in for a moment. And it's like, it, it's what you always want to do in a horror movie with a chase. And I feel weird. All the other movies have to have this moment where she runs into say, Arlie uh, Emery does the same part uh, later on in the remakes. Well, I mean, we'll get to and it. But, several horror movies. I mean, this is yeah, a trope. Yeah, it really is. But like every, almost every movie in the franchise would do that. Like you do believe she, she is safe. And uh, what do they call him? The chef or the cook? The cook. The cook, pardon me. The cook. And obviously from that name, it doesn't go well. Sally is sitting there and she looks over and she sees the cooking meat and it starts to kind of dawn on her and realize that yeah. this is not where she wants to be, that she's not safe. She's just still in the belly of the beast again. Mm-hmm. She tries to put up a fight, but it doesn't go very well. She ends up looking at all these things and adding two and two together. But she especially adds two and two together when he pulls up with a truck and he has a sack, a human-sized sack. <laughs> yeah, he's not very subtle. Rope. Yeah, he's not very subtle. And a, and a devilish grin on his face. Yeah, he's just like, he's like, hey, <laughs> he's like, hey, do you want to hop in the sack and I can take you over to the hospital real quick? This is a hospital sack. Yeah. <laughs> so he shows she, up. She yeah. takes a machete or what's it? A small machete or something yeah, like a, that. A bigger knife, I guess. Yeah, a bigger knife. Yeah. And she slashes at him. Well, he gets a broom and he hits her with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knocks the yeah. machete out of her yeah. hands and he hits her with the broom. Yeah, so we have a little bit of uh, broom foo, as Joe Bob Briggs would mm-hmm. put it. Uh, and he is able to subdue her with that. And he does eventually put her in the sack and take her into his truck where he tells her a little bit about how everything works while he is prodding her with the broom the entire ride back to the yeah. house. Which I, I do love. Like, he's like, y'all right in there? Boom, boom. Like, he just keeps sitting there with that thing. And uh, honestly, it's, it's one of my favorite little gags. The movie, the movie has a ton of little dark jokes in it that I really like that, that are like that. 
I think a lot of people don't really think about it like that, but the movie does have a lot of really great dark humor. Like some people, dark humorous bits. Yeah, some people think this is movie isn't really a horror movie; that it's a dark comedy. Yeah, I think you could really read it that way. I've talked to you a lot. Uh, that's how I feel about Hereditary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's how I feel about the movie with Florence Pugh. Midsummer. Yes. Yeah. Midsummer. Yeah, we we both we both feel that way about Midsummer. Yeah, I think that's a movie's a comedy. Midsummer. Midsummer. <laughs> I know you didn't want to do it. You want to be professional in the air. You can say, Vince Hammer? We love that flick. Yeah. Can't talk about those on reboot. Unfortunately. I know. Hey, you're the one who picked the format. Hey, I, <laughs> I, I, I had an idea. So he's taking her back to the house. Yep. Takes her back, to, knocks her out with the broom, takes her back, ties her up, takes her back to the house. And then you notice that the leather face is in a different mask. Yes. Yes. Why do you think he chose to be in a different mask it's, and a feminine one at that? Yeah, well, he's got to get gussied up for dinner. He's got to get ready for this event now that they have her coming back. She's the guest of honor and dinner, which I do love. And this does begin a, a long, 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 I guess, I guess you'd say a cliche of the franchise or, or horror in general, you know, cross-dressing uh, villains. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you see a little bit of that with Psycho as well. And this is something that sticks with Leatherface for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really part of his of, of his character background. It's part of what makes him tick. It's not particularly, I don't think it has anything to do about like drag or anything like that, really. I think it's just his status in the house. Mm-hmm. Like he is, even though he is the biggest, strongest one of them, he is the lowest on the totem pole of everybody in the Sawyers. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is knocked around, beat around, and that's why he does the women's duties. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's, I guess he looks the way he does. At least that's the way I've always read and interpreted it in this movie. I never thought it was about like trans or homosexuality or anything like that. With Leatherface. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, because Leatherface, I think, does, in the second one, I think, has a, a little bit of, of a love interest. So that that is, well, I guess I'm not going to speculate on Leatherface's sexuality. <laughs> <laughs> you can if you want. I guess I could. I, I guess I could. I would, um, I would assume he has no sexuality. He only wants to cut meat. At least that would be the way I would look at it. And and that's the way I've always interpreted that. Is like it's about masculinity and he's the lowest man in the totem pole, so he's not allowed to have any. My read of it, personally. And then we get that scene I was gonna to say about earlier with the old man and sucking her finger. Yeah. So he's yeah, like you, a vampire. You, you were excited about this one, yeah. They cut the this finger and he, he just he would and he and he sucks on her finger. She's screaming the whole time. She, she's going nuts. She's doing a great job. She is going absolutely fucking insane during this whole entire ending sequence. Yeah. It's very, very impressive. Marilyn Burns really doesn't get enough credit, you know, for just, like, how hard that is to do to sell that level of, like, mm-hmm. madness that she's going through. The shooting schedule did help, though. Yeah, and the scene at the dinner table... That was by far the actor's worst nightmare. And it, it depends who you talk to about how bad it actually was. No one says it was good. No. Like, that's the one consistent thing. Some people will say it was like it was like 22 hours, 21 hours. Some people will say they were there for 36 straight hours. So I, I don't know who you believe. I'm, I'm going to put the, the right in the middle is probably where it was, probably a full 24-hour day. Well, I know Gunnar Hansen already smelled bad because he didn't change clothes. Yeah. The entire shoot. No. So he smelled bad. And then there was a heat wave. So it was like 120 inside the house. Yeah. It's 1970s. Those film lights are actually real, actual lights. They put on blackout curtains, too, on the windows. Yeah. So they were basically. A ton of heat. 
in a hot box. Yeah, I'm I'm old enough to have shot with those old school lights, and e- even in more ideal circumstances, they can be punishing, and those are less than ideal. You know that I mean, those are rough, brutal circumstances to shoot a movie. Then you have the smell from the food that yeah. was left out, yeah, rotting with heat. Yeah, not a great combo. And then you had the smell of all the animal carcasses that they actually got to pepper the the set with. Just just think about it right now as you're listening to this podcast and and take a whiff and imagine that horrible stench of old dead carcasses. And it's so hot. Rotting meat, sweaty Gunner Hansen. Yeah. Uh gasoline chainsaw. All these things in there combined to truly make an awful awful scent and aroma. But it leads into the madness of the whole scene. Yeah, I mean, this whole this whole sequence is awesome. It really is. I mean, it, it is. My problem with the movie is I like about thirty minutes of it. Yeah, I think the the whole scene with the the uh, the house and the the dinner scene and all that. I think this is all done so well. I've seen these. These are more some more horror tropes in this scene, whole scene mm-hmm. sequence. It's cool seeing where it came from. Yeah, yeah. That always is sort of the interesting thing when you when you go back and, and watch a classic movie. Like, I felt that way, like, the first time I watched, like, Casablanca. As I watched it, and I, I got, like, a lot of jokes from other movies. Or yeah. Or realized where, what, what things were references to. And you can have that experience with Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well. But you just, you just keep going. I mean, you have the grandpa, they try to get... The, they basically agree that Grandpa's going to kill her. Yeah, Grandpa's the best killer is yeah. what the, the line is. And they talk about this throughout the movie. Because mm-hmm. I, I think even in the van, he mentions that his grandpa was like the best killer of, of cows or whatever. So it, it, it comes full circle here. And they have this amazingly dark comedic moment of the hitchhiker holding Sally down. And basically Leatherface just... Trying to hold the hammer in Grandpa's hand as his old decrepit hand can't even hold he the grabs fucking thing. It yeah, because I watched his hand. Yeah, he does put his fist around it, but he doesn't like do anything else. Yeah, yeah, he can't actually do the yeah. striking motion. So Leatherface is just trying to help him, and this goes on for a while. As a she's long screaming. time, like yeah. she gets hit a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, she does, and it does some damage to her head. But once again. Doesn't have any power on that. And Leatherface is reaching across his body to try to do it for him. So it's hitting her, hurting her, but it's not really like messing her up. Well, she eventually escapes. Yeah, the, the hitchhiker himself, he has to try to help out. And when he does, he lets go of her, which is the one thing he should have been doing the whole damn time. And what does Sally do? She continues with her war on windows, <laughs> runs, and, and listen, that's what you fucking do. She just runs as fast as she can. She hits that son of a bitch and bursts right through it. It's daytime on the other side, which is shocking, right? Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I saw this movie, I was like, whoa. That's how long she was in that that's house. That's how long. Fuck. Like, it really hits you at that moment. And, like, it just adds to Sally's madness. She's like, I'm going to put it on the pile. Like, <laughs> Sally just gets up, and she's just limping her way out of there as Leatherface gives chase. And the brother. Yes, yeah. The hitchhiker. Yeah, the hitchhiker is easily able to catch up to her because she's... He's slashing her from behind. Yeah, he's toying with her, which comes back to bite him in the ass because she makes it to the road and a semi runs that bitch over. Yeah. Now, it's a little cheesy. Like, he puts his hands up with, like, 10 feet to go, like, ah! (laughs) But I still love that because there's a a great shot of them running over a dummy. And I love whatever, like, a dummy is just thrown at something or run over or something like that. The person that threw the dummy almost got run over by that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> See, I love that commitment yeah. there. It's like you have a dummy for this and you almost got yourself killed. Yeah. Like a damn dummy. 
you have that. So he is taken out. And then we have the first person to help Sally in a long time. Yeah, we have the uh, the black guy that comes in the semi that hit the guy. Yeah, yeah. Now he brings her in. I, I like he gets out of the truck to help her. And the second he sees Leatherface, he's like, man, fuck that. I'm out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he gets in there and he does bring Sally in, but they immediately escape out of the cab, which I guess they should have driven away, but it doesn't really matter, I guess, right? Like either way, it might not have worked. Leatherface was, wasn't going anywhere. But he grabs a pipe wrench and they run away. And as Leatherface gives chase, he turns around and the semi truck driver just throws the pipe wrench right at Leatherface's face. <laughs> you have to wonder if he actually hit him with that. Yeah, thing. he just like eats it, like, oh. <laughs> Leatherface busts ass and cuts his leg with the chainsaw, which I, I always really liked, which is Gunnar Hansen's real fear, by the way, is he was going to cut yeah, his because, leg. Yeah, because when he did it, they had a metal plate. Yeah. Yeah. And when the the chainsaw goes through, he can actually feel the heat. Yeah. From it getting hot. Yeah. So he thinks that it's actually going through his leg when they're shooting. Yeah. Yeah, I know that. I, I've heard him talk about that. I remember listening to the commentary track a very long time ago and hearing him bring that up. And I, I think that's <laughs> scary and a little interesting. Mm-hmm. And then she escapes. She she gets into. There's another guy that shows up, and he she gets into the back of his truck, and she they narrowly avoids Leatherface. Yeah, because he, yeah, he throws a he throws a, a swipe with a chainsaw right as she gets into the vehicle. And she uh, she's laughing basically. She's to the brink of absolute fucking madness. Yeah, that's where she's at right now. Like it's like a Lovecraftian protagonist looking up and seeing Cthulhu for the first time, standing. You know. A thousand feet over him. That's exactly the look on her face. There is no sanity at all left. She's been driven completely mad by the event, and she just cackles as they drive drive away. Yeah. And Leatherface, he just, he does his dance. Yeah, he dances. He swings his chainsaw around in the sunset or sunrise. And that scene was caught. That was total improv by Gunner. Mm-hmm. He was basically taking out his frustration as the last scene, and he was just basically swinging that thing because out of pure frustration from the shoot. And you the, can feel it. The you can feel it. The brutality of the shoot. Yeah, you can feel it. It's movie history right there. And Toby Hooper just let the camera roll because yeah. he thought it was interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, that level of breaking you on a film set helps. Same thing happened um, with, with Sally's performance as well. They They shot all day. She went home. She cleaned herself up. She went to go to sleep. And they're like, hey, we had an issue with the gate, which is what how film cameras worked back then. So it meant none of that stuff they shot got captured. So she had to put herself back in fake blood, come back out, shoot that. So that's why she was cackling because she must be crying because she just, she was fucking broken at that point for him to do that. Yeah. And I mean, it, it makes for an iconic film. Sometimes that kind of shit works out. Okay. Do you want to know some facts on this movie? No, I'm out. (laughs) Yeah. Let me know. Lay them on me. Marilyn Burns, whose character was chased by Leatherface through the undergrowth, actually cut herself on the branches quite badly. A lot of the blood on her body and clothes are her own. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt that. There's no way to really cheat running through that kind of Texas mm-hmm. brush. Gunnar Hansen wore three-inch heels to make him taller than everyone else. So he's already a tall guy. He's a big and dude. added three inches to him. Yeah, it does make him look very imposing. That was he's a good call. Huge. Yeah. Guillermo del Toro became a vegetarian after seeing this movie. <laughs> and Toby Hooper was a vegetarian for a, a brief time as well afterwards. This is the biggest grossing independent film until Halloween. It makes sense. Yeah. yeah I think this made about like $30 million or something. Animal corpses strewn throughout the Sawyer house were borrowed from a local vet. At the end of the movie, 
they just piled them all up and set them on fire. It's probably cathartic. I would imagine so. Yeah, that was probably a great experience at the end of this thing. Everyone agrees on how bad the smell was during the dinner scene. The food, much of the meat products had been sitting out for days in the Texas heat. Hansen got the worst of it as he was only able to take off the mask for 15-minute breaks. Yeah, I can imagine that mask would be brutal. Yeah. I really can't imagine how rough that would be in Texas heat. You want to hear some alternate titles? Sure. Saturn in Retrograde. Nope. Head Cheese. I know that one. Stalking Leatherface. No. And then simply just Leatherface. Yeah, I think that would have worked. I mean, I think that's the name of the third movie. So I think that would have been a, a pretty good title, to be, to be perfectly honest. I like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. No, I, I mean, that's the title it should have. They did a great job on that. But I think I would have been okay with Leatherface. Not so much with Saturn Retrograde. What was that? Saturn in Retrograde. Saturn in Retrograde. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a shit title. This movie inspired Ridley Scott to make Alien. I wouldn't be surprised. Like I said, this is one of the most influential movies of all time. And last but not least, Mm -hmm. Quentin Tarantino named this movie as one of the few perfect films ever made. I, I, you know, as we reach this point of the show, I'd have to agree mostly with Tarantino on that. Uh, This is a 10 out of 10. This is a movie like no other. It can never be truly redone again. And we will find that out. I give it a 7 out of 10. Get the fuck out of here. I do. No, no, that's fair. That's fair. It doesn't necessarily work for everybody. I I don't like the beginning sequence. It's it's too long. There's a lot there. Mm -hmm. The whole house scene, I love. That whole sequence is great. Yeah, I I don't have any issues necessarily with the setup. Yeah, the acting's a little bit poor. But I think you need that to get a hold on who the characters are, what the situation is, what the world of the movie is. And I, I think it does just enough with its runtime where it never really wears out its welcome. And there's so much in this movie, like I said, that can never really be duplicated. This is like one raw film, an experience from, you know, an experience from 1974 or 73 when they shot it. You know, the the feel from this movie can never, ever be replicated. And that's what's truly amazing about it. No one can ever make a movie like this again. Believe it or not, there were actually people that did not like this movie. <laughs> I can I can imagine. I can imagine. And I have a one-star review for you. Honestly, I thought it was a joke. I really didn't think this was seriously the movie everyone raved about. It's terrible. I mean, it's really, really bad. And on how on earth anybody could enjoy this film is far beyond my vast, vast, incredible, vast understanding. It's so bad you cannot even laugh at it. First of all, the film's so-called gritty look is plain and simple, the result of the shoddiest photography this side of the 70s adult films. The framing is horrifically composed and makes a drunken wedding video look like Lawrence of Arabia. (laughs) The sound is inaudible and the dialogue worthless at it as it is nothing more than mumbles as the story develops. So does the incomprehension. Midway through, you'll tell yourself, this cannot be, this cannot become any more senseless. Well, it does. By the end, you'll be completely lost, and then it's over. Just like that. I was assuming there was half an hour left, but it just ends without resolving anything or giving us the payoff we deserve. What a ripoff. There's also zero suspense. Characters are killed almost right away, leaving no room for excitement. Plus, there is only one massacre with a chainsaw, and you don't even see anything, and it mostly occurs off-camera. The final chase with one character that actually gets some interaction with the bad guy is obviously the best bit of the movie, but by the point, I just wanted it to be over. I have no idea why so many people say this is a great movie or call it horror with a dark comic edge. 
It's nothing of the sort. It's an embarrassingly amateur shock fest that Ed Wood himself would, would disown. Check out the 2003 remake, which is a zillion times the movie This Dreadful Nonsense is. <laughs> Do not come within miles of this. You have been warned. Woo! Yeah, no, he did not like that at all. Woo! A lot of, lot of reviews that I read were like that. Yeah, because he hated if, this yeah, movie. Yeah, if you grew up with the, the 20, 2003 movie, right? Yeah. So 2003. If you grew up with the 2003 film, then yeah, if you went back and watched this, you'd be like, what the fuck is this thing? Like this weird sounding, poorly acted, shot on grainy 16 millimeter movie. And that's okay. You know, you, you're just going to miss out an experience because something looks maybe a little bit too archaic for you. Mm-hmm. And that's a shame because you will miss out on a great cinematic experience. But sometimes it's just how it is. You're not able to see it. Like I can tell you Metropolis by Fritz Lang is brilliant, but you're never going to give it the time of day because it's just too old. Yeah. You know, and that, that's that's okay. It's just how it is. There's some experiences, art, cinema, music. Lost of time. You got me to watch Citizen Kane. I did. I did. Well, that's only the greatest movie ever made. It's not. Yeah, I know. But you can see why people say that. For the time. For the time. Well, yeah, for the time. It's light years ahead of any other movie. Yeah, for the time. It's light years ahead of movies made in the 50s. Okay, so. We're not talking about Citizen Kane. No, we're not. There's no Citizen Kane reboot. My God, wouldn't that be hilarious? Oh, my God. <clears throat> yeah, a Netflix reboot of Citizen Kane. All right. So, uh, Meredith, let me ask you, what are your socials now? I don't have any. Because we don't need them yet. All we need are the wise, wise words of one Roger Ebert, who, of course, was alive in 1974 and was able to <laughs> to review Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> Meredith just checked her watch as the Ebert thief in. Like, <laughs> God damn it, I could taste dinner. <laughs> I'm hungry. Yeah. So uh, let me ask you, do you think Roger Ebert liked the movie? Yes. Okay, I'm going to read the review. I'm going to read the review, and we're going to see if you think he liked it. Now, here's a grisly little item. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a violent, gruesome, and blood-soaked, as the title promises. It's also without any apparent purpose, unless the creation of disgust and fright is a purpose. And yet, in its own way, the movie is some kind of weird, off-the-wall achievement. I can't imagine why anyone would want to make a movie like this. Yet, it is well-made, well-acted, and all too effective. The movie's based on factual material, according to the narration that opens it. For all I know, that's true. Although I can't recall having heard of these particular crimes, and the distributor provides no documentation. Not that it matters. A true crime movie like Richard Brooks' In Cold Blood, which studies the personalities and the compulsions of two killers, dealt directly with documented material, and was all the more effective for that. But, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre could have been made up for the whole cloth without any apparent difference. No motivation, no background, no speculation on causes is evident anywhere in the film. It's simply an exercise in terror. It takes place in an isolated area of Texas, which five young people, one of them in a wheelchair, are driving through in their camper van. They pick up a weirdo hitchhiker who carries his charms and magic potions around his neck and who giggles insanely while he cuts himself on the hand, then slices the paraplegic. They get rid of him, or so they think. But then they take a side trip to a haunted-looking old house, which some of them had been raised in. The two girls laugh as they clamber through the litter on the floor, but one of the guys notices some of the strange totems and charms which should give him warning, but they don't. He and his girlfriend set off for the old swimming hole, find it dried up, and they see a farmhouse nearby. The guy asks about borrowing some gasoline and disappears inside. His girl gets tired of waiting for him, knocks on the door and disappears inside too. A lot of people are going to be disappearing in this house. 
and its insides are a masterpiece of set decoration and the creation of mood. We see the innocent victims being clubbed on the hand, hung from the meat hooks, and gone after with a chainsaw. We see rooms full of strange altars made from human bones, rooms with chicken feathers, charms, and other weird relics, and gradually realize the house is inhabited by a demented family of retarded murderers and grave robbers. When they get fresh victims, they carve them up with great delight. What they do with their bodies is a little obscure, but, um, they run a barbecue stand down the road, I suppose. One way or another, all the kids get killed by the maniac waving the chainsaw, except one girl, who undergoes a night of panic and torture, who escapes not once, but twice, who leaps through no fewer than two windows, and who screams endlessly. All of this material, as you can imagine, is scary and unpalatable. But the movie is good, technically, with the special effects. We have to give it grudging admiration on that level, despite all the waving of the chainsaw. There is, for example, an effective montage of quick cuts of the last girl's screaming face and popping eyeballs that are bizarrely effective performances by the demented family. One of them, of course, turns out to be the hitchhiker, and the grandfather looks like Dustin Hoffman in Little Big Man. What we're left with, though, is an effective production in the service of an unnecessary movie. Horror and the exploitation films almost always turn a profit if they're brought in at the right price. So they provide a good starting place for ambitious would-be filmmakers who can't get more conventional projects off the ground. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre belongs in select company with Night of the Living Dead and The Last House on the Left, of films that are really a lot better than the genre requires. Not, however, that you necessarily enjoy seeing it. How many stars do you think he gave it? Two and a half. Just two? Yeah. Just two. Ebert was not necessarily enthralled by the film. Yeah, he wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't either. That's okay. That's okay. You're both allowed to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Maris, what are your socials? I don't have any. Fuck social media. That's right. So if you're looking to get a hold of us, there's a few ways to do that. Number one being the 90s way. You can email us at grittyrebootcast at gmail.com and we'll answer any question or, or take any suggestion. Also, uh, you can hit us up at Gritty Reboot at Instagram and at TikTok. Please uh, head over there, follow us. Uh, you can get any updates on the show from there. Or once again, also ask us questions from there. Please uh, be sure to rate the podcast, follow or subscribe. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, uh, give us a like. Like and subscribe. Uh, like and subscribe. That's right. <laughs> like and subscribe. So yeah, um, that's it. Tell a friend about the show. Uh, hopefully, good things. Uh, don't don't mention if, if if we if you think we suck. But otherwise, yeah. That's it for us. Uh, we, this is the start of part one of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And uh, next week, we're going to break down two movies. What are they going to be? We'll let you know next week. Yep. It'll be a surprise. That's right. All right. And with that, I'm out. Bye. Bye.